I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys, and welcome back. Today we are doing Season 3, Episode 7, Bang. Probably one of the most beloved episodes of Desperate Housewives. Oh, I think so. I think it's possibly one of the, the fan favourites. But you guys haven't had that ident in a while, huh? No, no, that's, that's an old that's, that's throwback. <laughs> Hashtag throwback. I haven't used that since, like, <laughs> beginning of season two. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, obviously, as I am doing the introduction, I will be doing the overview of the episode, and B will be doing the trivia. So let's dive right in. Babe, do you have anything to get us started? Oh yeah, I've got plenty of trivia. Um, so, real life trivia, this is Joel's favourite episode of Desperate Housewives. It really is, it really is. And Joel is not unique in that regard. This is widely considered one of the best episodes of Desperate Housewives, it really is. Yeah. So, Joel was super excited to be doing this one, if you couldn't tell by the last, well, however many episodes. <laughs> however many it's taken me. I was really annoyed, because I didn't want to have to do the overview, and I also didn't want to have to do the trivia. A little bit more real life trivia. Oh. Um, the boyfriends have just moved. <laughs> we have just moved. We have. So our socials have been pretty quiet, mostly because it's just been manic. Anniversary, moving. So it's... Oh, yeah. It was also our anniversary on moving day. Moving day was um, also our anniversary. So. The reason I bring this up is because we're in a brand new flat. So we're still moving stuff around, setting up. So if the sound is different, please forgive us. Please forgive us if you hear traffic or if it's just a bit more echoey. So that's yeah. why it may sound a bit different at the moment. But we are going to work our best to soundproof a bit more for other season yeah yeah this is the first episode we've managed to record in the new place we've only been here just less than a week so we'll the sound quality will hopefully improve over the next few episodes whilst we try and work on it but bear with us okay so let's get started with the stuff that we normally do it was written by joe keenan directed by larry shaw and it originally aired on the 5th of november 2006 bravo joe keenan well done Mm. that's not a common name for desperate housewives is it no i don't think so it was also written partially by I'm not sure how much credit Mark Jerry has for writing this, but obviously he had a lot of involvement in this episode. Yeah. We'll get to that. Um, The international titles are, well, the Croatian, French Canadian, German, Hebrew, and Hungarian, and Italian were all bang. Mm, Well, yeah. The French one was Death at the Grocery Store. Uh, That's a little bit too literal. I love it, though. I love that. (laughs) Why does it sound like an Agatha Christie novel? (laughs) Apparently, there's another French one, which is A Day Like Others. That's probably French Canadian. No, the French Canadian was bang. Oh. Even though it's not A Day Like Others. So I don't it's, know. <laughs> it's 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 so it's so not a day like any other. <laughs> this is a day like no other. <laughs> the Polish one is shot. The Spanish is goodbye. Okay. So according to the bonus disc, this is Mark Cherry's favorite episode of season three, and he had the idea for about a whole year before writing. Oh, okay. Yeah, he had this idea of what if a housewife or someone was held up in a grocery store with a gunman. Yeah. This is the first of the special disaster episodes of the series. These become a season regular thing, kind of like our neighborhood of the season spot. It's very, it's very much, it becomes a staple of Desperate Housewives to have like a mid, I think it's a very American thing to have almost like a mid-season finale where you'd hit the midway through the season and then maybe you'd have a few weeks break before the next episode and they'd always end up having some sort of disaster or finale-esque kind of thing to give us a bit of a, a cliffhanger on. Oh, yeah. So, disaster episodes. We love them. We I do. think they're some of my favourite episodes, the disaster episodes. Mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series for her part as Carolyn Bigsby in this episode. Yep. I'm assuming she didn't win based on the trivia just saying that, but yeah. I kind of wanted her to. Uh, well, it's it's depends on who she was up against, really. But yeah. she did do a very good job this episode. 
Lynette is held at gunpoint again later on in this season. She is. We're not going to talk about it. But she is. Interesting trivia. Is that late? It is later this season, isn't it? She's also the second housewife to be held at gunpoint, which was not mentioned anywhere, but I thought I should bring up because Susan was also held at gunpoint in season one. She was, and Julie and Brie. Oh, Brie was also held at gunpoint even yeah. more recently. Yeah. The only housewife who hasn't been held at gunpoint so far is Gabby. Yeah. Let's so see if far. that happens. This is Brenda Strong's only physical appearance in the season as Mary Alice. Mm. This episode marks the final appearance by Kirsten Warren until the series finale, as well as Laurie Metcalf. This episode was the second most watched episode of season three and the most watched episode of its premiere week. Marsha Cross, who plays Brie, is pregnant in real life during this episode. Her character Brie isn't pregnant, of course, but you can clearly see that they try and cover up her stomach with all sorts of different things throughout the episode. Yeah. Matt Roth, who plays Art, who is a new neighbour introduced in this episode, mm. as well as Laurie Metcalf, who plays Carolyn, were once married in real life. Were they really? Yep. Oh my god. Laurie Metcalf, Carolyn Bigsby, is reunited with two of her boyfriends from Roseanne, the TV show Roseanne, in this episode. Mr. Bigsby, played by Brian Kerwin, and Gary on Roseanne. And Matt Roth, who plays Art Shepard, was Fisher, who was Jackie's abusive boyfriend. Oh my god, so I bet they were actually married in real life and she held him at gunpoint. We have TV crossovers here. There's, it's crazy. Some, there's something so poetic about that. Maylee Flanagan, who voices Naruto in the animated series Naruto, makes a cameo as the cashier who caught Julie and Edie's nephew shoplifting the bottle of whiskey. Oh! For all of our little anime fans. I've not watched Naruto. Nor have I. 12 reviews on IMDb gave this 10 out of 10 stars. One of them has 9 out of 10 stars, and the other one didn't give a star rating, but the title said that it restored their faith in commercial television. Oh, Dad, that is high praise. So, at time of recording, every single IMDb review is good. I would find it hard to believe that there would be a bad review of this episode. I truly, like, I'm not, that's not just me being biased. I truly believe <laughs> that you would really have to be so ridiculously nitpicky to find a problem with this episode. Other than that, I have a couple of things in episode that I'm going to mention, Ooh. but finally, the trivia is over. Trivia. Yeah, but that was good trivia. Well done, babe. Thank you. I searched high and wide for that. You I did. even looked at the bonus discs, which we don't do until the end of the season, but for this episode, I thought I should make an exception. I love how you do high and wide, as opposed to high and low. <laughs> no, I searched high and wide. I searched high and wide. Mm. <laughs> okay, so let's get on with the show. So previously on Desperate Housewives... Nora made a move on Tom, and Lynette got pretty pissed. Loves that. Julie has a crush on Edie's nephew, Austin. Susan and Ian got back together because Susan can no longer have Mike. Gabby and Carlos slept together once again before she pushed him out of a window. <laughs> and Carolyn apologised to Bree so that she could give Bree more info on the Orson Armour drama, and Carolyn's husband has been having an affair with Monique. That was a gag. Right? So Monique seems to have this connection to three men in this television series right now. Awesome for some strange reason. She's having an affair with Harvey. And there's a connection with Mike. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Monique's character here. M Monique's yeah. getting around. How she's getting around, we don't know. But she's getting around somehow. So, we start the episode with Mary Alice once again, as per opening, by giving us a little play-by-play -play of what Carolyn's ordinary day was supposed to be like. However, earlier that same day, someone not saying names yet, told Carolyn some information that she wasn't too happy with and we see her enter the store that her husband is manager at. Yeah, we're not going to point fingers yet, Nora. No. <laughs> Nora the finger pointer. <laughs> it was her. Right. <laughs> Carolyn now knows about Monique and she pulls a gun out on Harry and fires, narrowly avoiding him and running after him as he hides in the manager's office and she takes several of the shoppers hostage. We then move straight into the next scene. There's no opening title you know, sequence in this episode. No, there's too much going on. Too much, far too much. 
And the next scene is Lynette, who it's the night before the scene we've just witnessed. And Lynette is having another one of her Mary Alice foreshadowing dreams that she seems to get whenever something bad's going to happen to her. Oh, but it's really sad. <laughs> it is. It's really sad. But it's just so convenient. Do you think? Uh, it's a coincidence. It's just, it's really convenient that she always gets these dreams right before something bad's about to happen. Uh, so yeah, the, the dream that she basically has with Mary Alice is with regards to the last time she saw Mary Alice and how Lynette basically did nothing to help her friend because the shopping bags were getting wet and Lynette jumps up awake at the sound of Mary Alice shooting herself. It's such a, it's so sad that she dreams of this and we don't know how often she dreams of it, but Mary Alice says she dreamed of it again last night. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it is sad because it probably does weigh heavily on her conscience that she was the last person to see Mary Alice alive and she probably feels like she didn't do anything because her shopping bag was getting wet. And, yeah, it was leaking. Yeah. I mean, obviously she asked if she was all right. Mary Alice, are you okay? It's really bad acting in this dream scene. Yeah, I find it a bit awkward. I find it really <laughs> uncomfortable to watch because I'm just like, I know it's supposed to be a dream scene, but come on, ladies. <laughs> it's more of a memory. It's a dream of a memory, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so later that day, Lynette is telling the girls, and by girls I mean Susan and Gabby, about how she had the dream again. And we see a new neighbour moving into Mary Alice's house. Apparently he's a bachelor who lives with his disabled sister, or as the women so colourfully put, invalid sister. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Lynette. Right. Um, so that's our very first glimpse of Art, who's now moving into Mary Alice's house. You may notice that we're not calling him a new neighbour of the season and getting all excited. Um which I guess isn't entire is kind of a spoiler because we're not doing it, but he's not going to be around. I guess so, but he is still technically a new neighbour of the season. He doesn't. He might not last a whole season. Yeah. But he's still a new neighbour <laughs> of the season. He doesn't. He certainly doesn't have the same impact to me as Betty Applewhite does. Oh no. So a bit of trivia. Matt Roth, who plays Art, who is introduced in this episode, is an American actor. He's had recurring roles on things such as Roseanne as Jackie's abusive boyfriend, Fisher, as we spoke about earlier on. He's also been in Frasier, Grey's Anatomy, CSI, and also Modern Family. It is a name that's familiar to me, but I'm not quite sure why, because I've not seen, really seen any of that stuff. I've seen bits of Modern Family, but I've not been watching it religiously. No, I do not recognise him, yeah. but I thought I would bring that up mm. if anyone else is recognising him. Lots of CSI, as in every time I do trivia on a character, um, an actor, they've always been in CSI. Because CSI is so, it's so well known. It's, it's got such a, it's such a long spanning television show mm. that I think pretty much every actor has been on CSI in some way, shape or form at some point in their career. There's just always a Housewives CSI crossover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Bree stops Orson to have a discussion with him about the night he beat his first wife, Alma, and Orson assures her he didn't beat her, but she fell because he pushed her because she was attacking him. <laughs> Not the best defense. <laughs> Not really the best defense, no, but apparently in Orson's defense... It was self-defense. That that's a lot of defense in in one small small no, yeah. slip of time. He just doesn't portray it that well to start with. No, he's like, oh, she suffered those injuries from a fall, and then Brie goes, well, how did she fall? And he goes, I pushed her. <laughs> I still don't. Oh, 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 we'll get to it. We'll get to it anyway. Brie tells him that Carolyn told her, and so he tells Brie of Harvey's affair. Brie accepts Orson's explanation, but not without a sassy retort before she leaves. Well, I mean, he was kind of passing the buck there, wasn't he? It's like, oh, you I... got this from Carolyn. Of course Carolyn said this. Well, maybe she should focus on her own marriage. I just wish there were fewer things you had to explain. Well, quite frankly, Brie, if you have this many doubts about Orson and you have to question him every time Carolyn brings you new information because you clearly don't know him enough yet to, to trust him, maybe you shouldn't have married him. <laughs> right? I just, I still kind of don't believe Orson. No, he's... I I don't think you're supposed to. Because Brie was like, as she was leaving, she turned and she was like, by the way, to remove a red wine stain, you 
poor sock to absorb it or whatever she says about her cleaning stuff <laughs> and also was like that's exactly what I told her before she hit me and I'm just like the way you've I'm not sure if that was a deliberate choice to make it seem like Wilson was being shady or I'm not sure if that was just poorly acted to the extent where I sit there and think Awesome, I still don't believe you. I think it might be the second one. Like it was meant to be an awkward attempt at look how good they are for each other. Yeah. <laughs> do you wanna get do you wanna know about how you should clean a red wine stain from a carpet? Sure. Bit of trivia? Sure. So a little bit of trivia from mollymage.com to this is about cleaning out a red wine stain from a carpet, and there's a three-step process. Number one, blot the stain as well as possible. And do it quickly, for the love of God. And especially if you have wall carpet. As someone that's wall carpet. Wool. Oh. W O L. Yeah. <laughs> as someone that's worked in a flooring company. Get to a spill as soon as you can if your carpet's made of wool, okay? Just get to a spill as soon as you can anyway. Don't just leave a spill. Number two, prepare a cleaning solution. Add a tablespoon of hand dishwashing soap and a tablespoon of white vinegar to two cups of warm water. And number three, using a white cloth only so that pigment from the cloth doesn't bleed into your carpet. Apply a small pour onto the stain, blotting frequently until the stain vanishes. Oh, okay. But if you want to give the sort a try... Yeah. Let me know what, how it goes, guys. Come through. We're, call us Kim and Aggie. <laughs> if anyone spills any red wine on a carpet, please let us know which which method you try and let us know the results and we will pull them together yes. and, and see who's right, Molly made or Brie. Yeah, that's that's how you clean a red wine stain off a carpet. Yeah. So Nora is breaking Lynette's rules as she comes over to tell Tom that she and Kayla are moving to Mexico and it's all Lynette's fault as she wanted them gone the minute they got here. Tom and Lynette are not best pleased with this, but Nora doesn't care, telling Kayla to say goodbye before driving off. This scene started really funny. <laughs> when, um, you know, she just shows up and she's like, Tom! And then that's like, hey, 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 that's two rules you've broken already. And I'm not sure that top makes a third. <laughs> and I, I have to agree, because that top was not nice. It was hideous. She looked like a sad orange. It was hideous, but I don't think that Lynette was saying, oh yeah, that's the third rule you've broken because that top was bad. She was saying it's the third rule you've broken because that top was slutty. (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't actually, to be fair, in the grand scheme of things, that was not a slutty top. Nah, it's just a, it's a hot day and she's wearing an orange top. Yeah, it was like a vest top. It wasn't really anything like, it was just like a loose billowy vest top. It wasn't like she was showing major cleave. But it was a crime against humanity. It was. Orange is a bad colour to wear. It's going to be one of the next cards in Cards Against Humanity, that top. Yeah, yeah. We are with Gabby and Carlos now at the divorce hearing, and it turns out that Carlos recorded him and Gabby having sex as evidence for the judge. This ensues that Gabby gets no spousal support, and she no longer gets anything in the house. Just the house. (laughs) She gets just the house. And Gabby is dragged out of the room in a rage. That happens a lot in this season. I am... Gabby getting dragged away. I have a problem with this scene, because recording somebody having sex without their permission is that not considered is it not illegal yeah is, is that not considered nowadays at least is that not considered revenge born but also can you prove that this is recent i mean no you that's, really can't i mean that's my problem with it i was like okay you've recorded this but that could be from any period of time. any period of time i, I guess mean, i guess gabby proved it for him with her reaction i mean she did yeah and that scene was genius like when he just plays the, the recording and it's just eva longoria faking sex and the recording <laughs> Yeah. So this so is good. another horrible step in the Gabby and Carlos disillusion of their marriage. And we're not over yet. There's more in this episode. Oh my God. It's just been building and getting worse all season. It has. It has. But <laughs> I do I do have a problem. Granted, what Gabby did wasn't great either because she was, you know, sleeping with Carlos to try and prolong the divorce. But what Carlos has also done is not very good. Yeah. And then she pushed him out a window. That wasn't good. <laughs> to be fair, can you blame Carlos for doing this? <laughs> You know what? I'm not on either of their sides. I'm just no. watching. Yeah. And just... it's all built into a peak, which we will get to in this episode. We will. We will. 
So Susan is shocked to find that Julie had Austin over and then Julie tries to basically explain the situation. And we have a bit of a clip. Oh, I cannot believe your timing. I'm about to fly off to Paris and you're inviting boys over for Oktoberfest. Ugh, that's it. Go to your room and finish packing. This conversation's over. <laughs> the last time I checked, I was the parent. Yeah, well, the last time I checked, I was the daughter who never gave you any reason to doubt her. Okay, I know. And, and don't I play just... the parent card with me. I just finished packing your suitcase, doing your laundry, and balancing your checkbook. And now I'm going to the store to buy your toothpaste. Well, a simple no, I didn't drink any beer would have sufficed. A simple no was what you got, Susan. Right. Susan's there like, a simple no would have sufficed. And Julie literally gave you that. She gave you the exact reason as to what happened, the exact story. And you're the one that seems to be like, looking for a problem. Yeah, Julie said, I was just schooling or tutoring Austin and he pulled out a beer can and I told him to put it away and he did. And Susan's like, uh, oh, what? <laughs> Susan's like, you dirty slut. Uh, <laughs> Susan. So yeah, it, this, oh, this really aggravates me. And also, come on, Susan, you're old enough to be doing your own bloody packing. I, Julie, send in Susan to her room and then storming off to buy her toothpaste. It's such a mood though. Oh, really? yeah, yeah. So Julie storms off to the store uh, at the end of that scene after proving to her mother that she clearly has no reason to doubt her and schooling her mother on who the real parent in this household is. Quite frankly, Julie has a very valid point. She's never given you reason to doubt her. No, no, not at all. And it's very uncool of you to do so. Yeah. Mm. Also, you found one beer, Susan. One beer. Can we relax a little bit? You're making it seem like you found needles. She does feel like she's going a bit off her rocker, doesn't she? Yeah, like, it's one bit. Kids drink. Kids drink underage. Let's face it, who are we kidding, trying to convince ourselves otherwise? But also, like, even if she had had this one beer, could you not have gone a bit lighter on her, considering that she's never been in trouble before? Right. She's a good kid. You literally went from one to a hundred so quickly when all she... This is the first little thing she's ever done but <laughs> wrong. And she didn't even do anything wrong. But in your eyes, this would be the first little thing she's ever done wrong. And you've literally just jumped to a hundred. God, I have every reason to give Julie the best parent award for this episode for that scene. Oh, yeah, do you know what? Wouldn't blame you. Mm. Wouldn't blame you. So Carolyn pulls up next to Bree to ask how she's doing and whether or not she's left the wife beater yet. Bree isn't best pleased with Carolyn interfering in her marriage and drops the hot tea on Harvey's affair to shut her up. So it was her. So it was, yeah. So it looks like Bree is the person that told Carolyn some information that she did not want to hear at the beginning of the episode. Just like Mary Alice said, Bree is the person that kicks off all of this episode's primary drama. Oh, oh dear. Carolyn and Brie are so entertaining together in scenes, though. They really are. They bounce off of each other very well. The they, way that, they've got um, very good, a very good rapport going. Yeah, exactly. The way that Laurie and Marsha can just bounce off each other yeah. when they're being, like, shady. There's no excuse for hitting a woman. I thought that, too, until I met you. It's because Brie is so sassy, mm. but Carolyn is just straight up with it. So Lynette is not happy with Nora taking Kayla away and is not happy with the idea of Tom travelling down to Mexico to see them and be alone with Nora, pretty much. Can't blame her. At realising that he can't just never see his daughter again, Lynette brings up the idea of suing Nora for full custody. That is such a queen moment, Lynette. It is, but... I mean, you'll regret it. I'm not quite sure how that would work out. Oh, she's fully going to regret it. Because, like, it would be different if Kayla was a baby. But where Kayla is old enough now to, to be forming memories and forming her own opinions and things like that, if she sees that you actively go out of your way to take her away from the only parent she's consistently known throughout her life, she will have a problem with that. Oh, 100%. But she's going to regret it for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, Gabby is pissed at Carlos for the result of the settlement, and she storms off in silence and starts breaking all of the stuff inside the house, which is now technically Carlos's stuff. <laughs> Yelling at him for how much that she was worth when they met and how she gave it all up for him and she had a career and blah blah blah. <laughs> Carlos decides that he wants to play this game too and grabs a sledgehammer and begins hammering up the wall of the house, which is now Gabby's house. You said you always wanted a window here. <laughs> I always thought there should be a window right here. <laughs> Imagine how much you'll save on bubble wrap. Oh, Smash. My god, it's just so She just starts smashing the most expensive vases that she can find. This is such a stressful, like messy scene. Oh, but it's so good. It's hilarious. As it's soon as it started hilarious. happening, I was like, okay, they have finally reached the peak of this divorce. Like yeah. things have been getting so dirty and a bit kind of uh mentally scarring, but mm. now they're just really going for it yeah i love this they're destroying the house yeah but that's such a messy move so messy between the two of them honestly i can't believe it i can't they're, believe they are, they're so messy but they're getting each other the way that each other would hurt yeah with stuff yeah and material things, things. yeah material yeah. possessions well they're getting each other's material possessions they're finally doing it yeah this must have been such a fun scene to film though yeah like you just get to wreck the set like oh what the hell so we're at the store and Julie bumps into Austin who offers to carry her basket to make up for the, you know, the trouble that he got her in. And she turns her back and he sneaks some booze into her backpack. And apparently she just doesn't feel the extra she weight. She does not feel the extra weight. Like, I just don't get it whatsoever. Maybe she has a very strong back. <laughs> from having to carry Susan's Susan. shit around with her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So um, Carolyn then calls Harvey, who is at the store, to discuss Monique and ask if he loved her and get the facts. Harvey refuses to really give any sort of straight answer as to whether he loved her or not, and who he would be with if Monique were still alive. Oh, pretty harsh. Yeah, very, very harsh. Uh, Thus pissing off Carolyn even more. This is really harsh, because she realises that he went into this big depression before, and she was trying to think of all these ways to cheer him up, as a good wife does, and then she's like... It's because this Monique woman died, isn't it? It's because she disappeared and she wasn't responding to you. And then she was like, oh, do you love her? And he was like, she's dead. She's, like, oh, she's well, dead, Mo- Carolyn. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if she were alive, would who would you be with, her or me? And he can't even bring himself to lie and just say that he'd no, be with Carolyn. he literally just says, she's dead, again. Like, that, that answers itself. You might as well have just said Monique. I don't, because... con- I don't condone any of Carolyn's actions, but she's a very tragic character in this regard. She is a very tragic character. I do feel sorry for Carolyn. I mean... I do feel sorry for Carolyn. The more things that she brings out in this episode, the worse I feel for her. Yeah, yeah. Not that that excuses what she's about to do. <laughs> oh, no, no, of course not. But I just, yeah, she has clearly been mistreated Yeah, by her husband. So, um, Julie and Austin are at the checkout now, and the booze falls out of Julie's backpack, and the cashier calls Harvey to come sort out these thieves, and he has to end the call with Carolyn. Um, Carolyn, on the other end of the phone, has clearly been drinking. We see the sort of half-drunk bottle of wine and you know, the empty glass on the table, and she grabs their gun, which is just conveniently placed in a drawer nearby. America. <laughs> right. Um, Lynette is then... We quickly cut to Lynette's house, and she's leaving to quickly run to the store, and she drives past Edie, who gets a call from the store advising her that her nephew has been caught shoplifting. So Lynette and Edie are both off to the supermarket. It's yep. also a shame that Lynette couldn't have given Edie a lift. <laughs> it is a real shame, though, because she literally just drove right past Edie when she was on the phone. Yeah, it's a shame that Edie couldn't be like, hey, wait up. <laughs> but Carpool. also, we get Edie being called to go to the store, and we also get 
possibly the worst acting from Nicolette Sheridan so far in Desperate Housewives I've ever seen. It's a, it's, yeah. Telephone acting's not easy. It's not easy at all because you have to try and you have to react to a blank phone. No one's on the other side. And you also have to make sure that you give enough timing to the words that are being said to you so that you can then react and reply. Unfortunately, she just didn't really leave a realistic amount of time between her reactions. No, 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 no. So it was just, it was very quick responses from Edie and it would have been a little bit more realistic if she just left an extra five seconds or so, maybe. Because she just picks up the phone. She's like, this is she. He did what? I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's no, there's clearly no one at the end of that phone communicating with her. So it was a little bit of a disappointing, disappointment from Nicolette Sheridan in this moment. But overall, very good actress. But she looks great here. And she also does look great in her little jogging outfit. And, and it's yeah. all white. Yeah. Love that. So we cut to Susan and Ian has come to pick her up and she's still packing and waiting for Julie to return from the shop with her toothpaste. She begins to unpack... Uh, the minute Ian tells her that she can take his card and go shopping because he's got an expense account. And that's when Susan gets a call from the store advising her that Julie has been caught shoplifting. Which does not help Julie's case from earlier. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. I, will, I, again, I do want to say, though, I like how it started with Susan trying to be like an independent woman and not wanting to spend Ian's money, mm. you know, until he said about the expense account. Yeah, I can't judge. I do the same. You know, she's just like, no, I don't want to spend your money. Come on, help me zip this suitcase. Mm. <laughs> but... Again, Julie's in trouble because of Austin. Yeah, he's a bad influence. He's a really bad influence. Also, I think he's just a little bit too old for her. Maybe. I think Austin's, what, 18, 19? Mm. And Julie's 14? Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. A little bit too old for her, I think. Julie's 14 or 15, maybe. So I think there's a little bit too old. Yeah, he's got a lot more maturing to do. So we cut back to the store, and Susan has arrived to collect Julie, and Lynette's already there talking to Art, who's the new neighbour. Yeah, getting a bit of an introduction there, Lynette. Yeah, they move on to the topic, Lynette and Art, sorry, move on to the topic of his sister, and from a distance, Lynette sees Nora enter the store, so she makes a quick getaway down another aisle. Oh, it was so funny, she just... Rudely interrupting (laughs) Art. The minute she saw Nora, she didn't care about Art's sister anymore. (laughs) She's like, oh, uh, can I ask what's wrong with her? Yeah, she's got this rare, degenerative, oh, that's gotta be rough, see ya. Yeah, (laughs) she just like marches out of there. (laughs) Uh, Susan and Edie are in the manager's office and she's berating Julie for this sudden change in character and Susan leaves to go back to Ian who's waiting in the limo outside the store so that he doesn't miss his plane and as she leaves she tells Julie she is very disappointed in her and Susan leaves the store and walks past Carolyn which is a scene we'd already seen at the very beginning of the episode yeah I think, Carolyn I think walking we see in. that clip at least two or three times yeah I know and that's, so funny. that's why I, oh yeah yeah hi how are you <laughs> yeah someone walks past and they're like hi Carolyn she's like Hey, yeah, hi, how are you? (laughs) Edie offers up Austin as a free employee for a month. That doesn't really seem to interest Harvey, and Austin is kind of irritated to work for free for a month because he stole a $10 bottle of whiskey. (laughs) And then Edie's like, well, that's the other problem. You just stole the cheap shit. Yeah, that's what you get for not stealing the smart stuff. Come on, Harvey. Let's let's have a chat, or whatever she says. That's the problem, you're not smart enough to even steal the good stuff. So, but, yeah, no, and then it doesn't really interest Harvey in this sort of thing. He seems very distracted. Well, I think he he would rather just let the authorities deal with it. Probably, you know? and to be fair, he's just been interrupted in a phone call with his wife, where the affairs all come out. Mentally, he's probably not really at work anymore, he's all over the place. Yeah. You know, he's probably realising the conversation he's just had with Carolyn and how he came across as well. And it was not the best time to be caught stealing Julian Austin. No. Like, this poor manager has got enough on his plate right now. Poor manager? F- screw him. 
I mean, he's about to get more on his plate anyway, but like <laughs> he was he was in the middle of something pretty personal and your stealing interrupted that. Yeah. So Nora manages to find Lynette in the store who comes up to her and calls her a conniving bitch. God, that's a coincidence. So amazing. You're a conniving bitch. Uh, we get a bit of the same conversation between Carolyn and Harvey at the beginning of the episode again, but from, you know, the perspective primarily of Lynette and Nora. Um, before Lynette walks away and Nora follows. Um, Lynette believes Kayla would be better off with them than Nora, and they both sort of start making flimsy little threats at each other before we hear a gunshot, and Lynette reacts like any sane person would react to a gunshot, and Nora kind of just looks like they've been, you know, inconvenienced a little bit and disturbed in their conversation. (laughs) Yeah, the gunshots begin. Lynette looks like she's just been made jump because there's a gunshot in the next aisle. Nora just looks over like, huh? Nora's like, oh, we're in the middle of a conversation. Yeah, she's rude. <laughs> Nora's very confident right now. Where was this confidence earlier when right. she kicked when Lynette kicked her door down? Right, Nora's literally there, like, you don't want to screw with me. I'm just like, come on, Nora. I don't know, it's Nora. Because she's in a public place, yeah. she knows full well Lynette's not going to try anything in a public place because she's all talk. Yeah. So Harvey grabs Edie and drags her into the office with him, and Julian Austin are left outside with the other shoppers in a hostage situation. And I will point out, as much as a, a jackass Austin is. He does pull Julie behind him in a protective kind of manner. He does. I liked... That was so just heroic and manly. And I was like, oh, Austin. Yeah. Amazing. Like, he grabs Julie and pulls him behind her in, like, a defensive way. So, yeah, Austin... I keep wanting to say Justin. (laughs) Obviously, um, nothing... There hasn't been bad acting up to this point, really. Other than a stumble from Nicolette Sheridan. But from when the gunshots start is when all of the really good reactions and the really good acting begins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we see Edie look friggin' scared out of her mind running they've, into that office and we see Austin and Julie panicking and him pulling her behind him. It's it's beginning. They've done this episode so well because the stakes are so high because yeah. it's it's not just, you know, the odd character here like, oh, Carolyn's holding up some hostages. It's These are characters that we've, become, we've come to know and love. Lynette, Nora, Austin, Julie, Edie. That's five reasonably main characters now yeah. for Desperate Housewives that are held up at gunpoint alongside all of these day players. Any one of those five <laughs> could go... Any one of the day players could go. All of them. None of them. Who knows? Yeah. We've had high stakes before. Like, we've had Susan being held up at gunpoint. Mm. We've had Bree being held up at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are probably the highest stakes, but this kind of tops those. So, outside the store, Susan is telling Ian that she can't go to Paris and leave Julie at a time like this. This is clearly a cry for help. Ian doesn't seem to think it's that big of a deal, but they agree to go together another time. And Ian, who has business meetings in Paris, not that he's being selfish, it's work for Ian, um, goes off to the airport and Susan leaves, coming back to the store. I don't think Ian means it. You know, he knows that she can't go. It's just that first five minutes of denial, like, no, no, we have to go, please. Yeah. He's a bit yeah, cringy, but... though, the whole, it won't be Paris without you. <laughs> yeah, and even he was just like, oh, well, we'll bring her with us. <laughs> Susan's like, you've clearly never been a parent, Ian, if you think that that's responsible parenting. Right? Right. <laughs> I've just caught you shoplifting, you're coming to Paris. So um, we cut back to the store, and there's a few of the shoppers that still haven't been seen, including Lynette and Nora. One of the employees that's sort of chilling with them behind one of the aisles believes that he can make a break for the front door and he manages it, but not without getting shot in the process. And he gets shot in the back of the shoulder. And this leads Carolyn to take a bit of a walk around to find any of the other people that are hiding. And she finds several people, including Art, the new neighbour, and a day player woman whose son is in Carolyn's Sunday school class. Laurie really does deserve an award for probably just this scene alone. She's very funny. She's incredibly... She manages to capture that sort of unhinged, 
sort of my entire world has just crumbled in the matter of five minutes. She's, and <laughs> the way what that she do talks I do? to this woman, like, oh yeah, your son at Sunday school. Oh, he's so great. Don't do anything that might make him lose a mummy. <laughs> right? She's like, oh, he's a, such a great little boy. Don't and make think, him do anything to make him wake up tomorrow morning without a mummy. <laughs> isn't this the scene where she's like, um, shoppers, we're having a sale and not getting shot, but it only applies at the back of the store. <laughs> yeah, it's only available at the back of the store. <laughs> So, yeah, she's really good. So, Harvey, in the manager's office with Edie, is on the phone to the police, and Edie's trying to convince him to go out there and just sort of take one for the team, because Karen's clearly only interested in getting Harvey, and these hostages are just sort of there. Well, I did love this moment, because she was, in a roundabout way, trying to say that he should do the honourable thing. Well, yeah. Because she's like, Austin and Julia are out there, and then she's like, there's ten innocent people out there, you need mm. to go out there. Well, yeah, because Edie's like looking and she's like, that's, that's her nephew and, and that's Julian. I've said before, and I will say it again, yes, uh, Edie has problems with Susan. I do genuinely believe that Edie cares about Julie quite deeply. Oh, yeah, Edie loves Julie. They've so, got a great connection. Yeah, so I do think that it's not necessarily Edie sort of being selfish and wanting to, you know, save herself. But <laughs> I do think that saying to the man, oh, go out there and just get yourself shot and all this will be over. You won't even feel it if she's that good of a name, like, which she clearly is that good of an aim I would like we'll to point there. out she misses Harvey when she stood like pretty much right in front of him but she shot that employee that was trying to run out of that front door from the back of the store right at the shoulder that is a good shot that was a brie shot that was a brie shot what is it with these housewives knowing how to shoot I don't know America's a crazy place <laughs> America's a crazy place so we've already established that she can be a good shot when she wants to be Lynette decides to call home and asks Parker to put Tom on the phone, but he neglects to do so in time, and this is when Carolyn comes across Lynette and Nora, taking Lynette's phone and dragging them to the back of the store with the other hostages. Oh, Lynette, you're, you're close. You're you are so really close. close. But of all the people to call, you call home? Well, I mean, I know she didn't know that the police had been called, but I guess maybe she could gather and she just wanted to talk to our kids and, her, yeah, and you know, Tom. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I guess it's the first thing that goes through your head, isn't it? Yeah, wife and kids, or husband uh, and kids, yeah. All the customers are now at the back of the store. Yep, everyone's there except the one that managed to, uh, you know, escape, getting yeah. shot in the process. So Susan is outside the store, seeing all of the commotion, and she runs to the front door, but she doesn't quite make it in time, and Carolyn locks the door, keeping Susan out and Julie in. <laughs> and Susan manages to insult Carolyn on the way as well. Oh, but I've got to get in, there's a crazy woman in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Carolyn, let me in. There's a crazy woman with a gun in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Great. If I was Carolyn, I'd be like, right, well, Julie's first. Right, I was like, <laughs> Julie's chances of survival have just dropped. <laughs> Significantly. Karen rushes over to Gabby's place to get them to turn on their TV, but it's a bit too late. It's already been damaged in the fight, and so is their radio, so that's no use either. And apparently everyone is watching the news over at Bree's house, where they're all eating snacks and watching the drama unfold. I mean, but first, let's not look. Let's not overlook the absolute chaos that is Karen visiting Gabby's house. <laughs> yeah, she sort of like looks over Gabby's shoulder and sees the mess that their house literally is. Obviously, in bet- from the last time that we saw Gabby to this scene, they have been just destroying everything. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I wish, I wish I could be this rich. That I could be like, yeah, fuck up my house. Who cares? Gabby's got uh, dust in her hair. There's holes in the walls. Chandeliers on the floor. Karen's like, is everything okay? Yeah, we're just, we're just having a little squabble. And then. Carlos just walks by with a chainsaw. A chainsaw, man! A chainsaw! It's amazing. And she's like, Carlos, where are you going with that? She's like running after him. <laughs> but over at Breeze, um, yeah. it's so Bree to host. To, to, just to host right now. Yeah, to host a disaster party. She's doing That's a, literally she's what like, she's doing. She's doing a TV coverage party. Yeah. 
Um, and so like um, Ida, is it Ida Greenberg? Yeah, Ida Greenberg comes over with her friend. Yeah, and she's like, I told you she'd have food. <laughs> yes, Bree's like, oh, it's awful. Devil deck? <laughs> so good. I have to say, I think going for the comedic route was funny. But Brie does get on my nerves in this episode. Why? Because she is so blasé and Brie about this. But and we, I'm like, Brie, we do, have a heart. We do see later that she does have a heart. We will Only get, we because will get she that. finds out that she's partly responsible. That's true. That and that her true. friends are involved. That but other true. than that, she's just like, oh my gosh, this is a moment for me to host again. Like, Brie, have a heart. People oh, are being bitch. held up at your local supermarket. Bitch, please, you'd do the same if we had the space to host. Oh yeah, I would be so blasé about it. <laughs> But I just wanted to say that about Brie just now, just to get out of the way. You know? yeah. I feel like it was a weird choice. Mm. Uh, so we cut back to the store again, and Carolyn is there, boring her hostages to death with the story of the affair and how Harvey is clearly the bad guy here. Uh, she's losing her marbles, <laughs> uh, getting interrupted with phone calls and getting angry, and that's when Carolyn gets a phone call from Tish and wanders off briefly. Like, oh my god, is that today? I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, she keeps like hanging up the phone like, I told you not to bother me right now. Oh sorry Tish, I didn't realise that was you. She's just like, like oh, for god's sakes Tish, turn on the news. <laughs> Hangs up. So Susan is talking to one of the officers and trying to get him to agree to do a hostage exchange to replace her with Julie. This was such a classic Susan line. She's just like, I want to swap places with one of the hostages you guys, you guys do that, right? Oh, you mean our hostage exchange program? I kind of felt really bad for Susan. Like, the officer is a bit of a jackass and practically laughs her off. I don't think he laughs her off. I think he's annoyed because he's got a lot on his plate right now. He does have a lot on his plate, but Julie is just a... Con- not Julie, sorry. Susan is just a concerned parent. Yeah. And she wants to, you know, save her child. That's that's all it is. And I just think, oh, you mean our hostage exchange program? It's going to get sarcastic, officer jackass. That was funny, though. This doesn't put Susan off and she steals a megaphone to talk to Carolyn and arrange it herself but she doesn't get very far she steals a megaphone yeah even first when... of all I'm sorry for the crazy lady remark <laughs> <laughs> she just starts shouting at Carolyn through this oh my god even when she's being held hostage Susan still manages to embarrass Julie <laughs> Julie looks so embarrassed Julie's literally there like oh god kill me she probably turns to Carolyn to be like just shoot me please Carolyn, just shoot me please <laughs> please Carolyn <laughs> She doesn't get very far with the whole thing. She, like, delivers half of her phone number, and she's like, Carolyn, Carolyn, if you agree, signal by sending Julie to the... <laughs> yeah, but the police find her. They do find her. I mean, you can't really be very inconspicuous when you're yelling in a megaphone. Yeah. So, Gabby and Carlos are now at Bree's for their hostage party, and the realisation that Bree was partly to blame for this turn of events. Why? Is that when they announced that it's Carolyn Bigsby? Yeah. Yeah. Andrew gets off the phone and tells everyone that Edie, Julie and Lynette are among the hostages. You know, because fuck Austin, right? And Tom then turns up to drop off the kids to Breeze as Lynette's a selfish bin and she hasn't come back from the store yet, in his words. Oh yeah, he's all like, Lynette has been gone for hours. He's like, Lynette's been gone, she's been at the store for ages and I've got a doctor's appointment. Oh, it just, it cuts deep. Oh, that that really upset me. It really, yeah, me too. It was really sad. Like I said, from the moment the gunshots go off, all of the acting just goes up a notch. Because Brie, Gabby, and Karen's faces, when they realise that Lynette, Julie, and Edie are in that supermarket. Yeah. Like, the reactions are stellar. I do feel for Brie. I feel for Gabby as well. And Karen, they're they're all like, oh my god, people we know are in there. Yeah, but I feel for Brie because of the level of realisation that she's now had that she's caused this. Yeah, she. this is when she finally starts to show a bit of humanity about the situation. And she's there like, oh, you know, from Brie's point of view, all she she was doing was, you know, being a smart-ass to a woman that was being a smart-ass to her. She was never, like, nobody ever expects it to go this far. So for her to not only elicit this sort of reaction from someone, but put her friends and neighbours in danger by doing so. 
Yeah, I the level of guilt she must be feeling. Yeah, and Marsha portrays that fabulously. Really well, really well. But just to hear that Lynette is in the supermarket and she's one of the hostages and then someone the kids walk into the house. Oh my God. <sighs> absolutely heartbreaking. Like, absolutely heartbreaking. So Brie has hidden herself away in the kitchen to make some more food and this is when Orson comes to find her and she's clearly feeling very guilty for her role in this whole situation. And Orson realises this and decides to offer to help her and stay with her. Which is very sweet. Yeah, it's very sweet of Orson. There's nothing they can do. No, there's nothing they can do. Like, he even said, you know, what what can I do? And she's just... Even though it does it does elicit a snide comment from Brie. She's like, oh, I'm running out of food and it's not like I can go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Brie, you shitty bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, can, can we stop acting like this is the only store in Fairview, please? It's like, just the most convenient because it's the supermarket. Well yeah, right? I, I, well, yeah, I know. But I go out of my way every week to go to a store that's not the most convenient. Mm. So, cut back to the store, and Carolyn is picking out on cookies and wine. Mood. That's me every single night, sat on that sofa right next to us. <laughs> oh, Carolyn is losing her mind. She's and waiting out here for her husband to come out. She talks to the hostages about how Harvey didn't want kids with her, because he'd already had two from his last wife, and he got her fat, and he likes some lean, and so she runs four miles a day. Mostly because Harvey loves skinny queens. We're just finding out more and more sad facts. And you look at Carolyn like, you know what? Shoot him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she got her hair done, but he didn't even know. Did you know this? Did you know this? <laughs> in all fairness, when she said that, I was like, did you really? Yeah, it doesn't look good. That's not nice hair. But it also, in Harvey's defence, I wouldn't notice if someone got their hair done if they pointed a gun at me either. It's just nothing that Harvey says is going to make this right in her eyes. Because no. he's <clears throat> cheated on her. He's stopped her from having kids. And she's been running miles and miles a day, and this is her first cookie in years. Yeah, six years. She hasn't had a cookie in six years. That's enough to make me shoot someone. Yeah. So the police officer is on the phone to... (laughs) I wrote Hervey. (laughs) The police officer is on the phone to Harvey, asking him to convince her to release the kids and old people, because apparently we're on the Titanic. And when he tries to do so, Carolyn hears Edie inside the office with him and assumes that he's screwing her as well. (laughs) That was probably one of my favourite moments from the whole episode. He's like, is that one of your whores? And then Edie's like, oh, fantastic. (laughs) Poor Edie. So good. Now Edie's chances of survival have really gone down as well. I hope you're having a good time in there, whore, because I've got a bullet for you too. Oh no. Gabby is sat outside and Carlos comes to join her. And Gabby makes it all about her, as much as I love her. (laughs) She really turns this situation all about her by saying that she knows how Carolyn feels and how she's had so much rage inside her over the past six months as well. And this is when both Gabby and Carlos agree to make a change I no longer be these angry people. Yeah, sometimes you just need a crazy gun lady to make you realise how selfish you've been. Yeah. I kind of thought she was having a moment because she was overwhelmed by the situation and the fact that her friend and her best friend's daughter and Mm. Edie are in the supermarket. But no. (laughs) No, instead she's like, oh, the scary thing is I I felt like I relate to her. I could be her. I'm just like, oh, Gabby. But that's very Gabby. It's very in keeping. I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. It fits her character very well. And it is a sweet scene. Well, like, them comforting each other. Like, Carlos and Gabby sort of coming together and realising that they've been crazy people and, and to make a change, or at least actively admit to try and make a change. Does this mean they're getting back together? Who knows? Ooh, who can say? Who can say? So Tom has, is now outside the store with Susan, uh, trying to calm her down, telling her that Carolyn teaches Sunday school and so she'd never hurt a kid, and that Lynette is so persuasive that she can handle herself in that situation. Love this scene. I really love this scene as well. And then it sort of takes a bit of a turn because Tom blames himself for Lynette being at the store as she wasn't supposed to go until tomorrow, but he really wanted hamburgers for dinner and they didn't have any. So she ended up having to go to the store today. 
Oh, it's so sad. It really is sad. It's it's strange. It's, it's very much butterfly effecty. how one little decision has changed the course. Like, it's just so nice. Like, Tom and Susan comforting each other and trying to convince each other that it's going to be okay. It's nice because Tom doesn't get very many scenes with the housewives. That's actually what I wrote. I was like... It's nice when you have these scenes where two characters in particular that don't interact with each other that often get that time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice that we have... Cause we, I don't really think we've seen a scene with Susan and Tom, just the two of them, really interacting together. I don't think so. Maybe Tom now realises that he's been a bit selfish recently as well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe this sort of scares him into realising, oh shit, like, Lynette's the love of my life. Yeah, I mean, I he, he lost kind her. of had that last time when Nora tried to kiss him. Yeah. Like, he, he realised, oh, I love Lynette, but maybe now... He can get his priorities in check a little bit. Yeah, sometimes you just, you become so complacent in life and a a situation like this really brings everything back to the forefront of, Mm. oh shit, like this could have changed everything for me. Mm. So So, that was a nice scene. Yeah. Inside the store, Nora is shutting up and Lynette is trying to keep her quiet as Carolyn told them not to talk. And Carolyn comes over to shut them up again and Nora announces to the room (laughs) that Lynette is trying to steal her kid. Oh, nice one, Nora. Right? Nora says she. She's like, it's her. She's the one doing this. Yeah. She's she's trying to steal my kid. Lynette then defends herself by announcing that Nora tried to make a move on her husband. And at this, Carolyn shoots Nora right in the heart. Yeah, that wasn't a very good move, Lynette. But in all fairness, Lynette is scared and she's just trying to defuse it. She's trying to defuse the situation. Nora threw her under the bus and so Lynette's like, yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, I'm trying to steal a kid, but she tried to steal my husband. Like, she's... Lynette's not thinking rationally about the situation and how Carolyn would react to information like that after she's just had her husband, in essence, stolen from her. What a gag. It was a real gag. So everyone freaks out and outside everyone starts to panic as nobody knows who was shot or if anyone was shot at all. They just heard the gunshot. Mm, more reactions. And then Carolyn is sassy to Lynette by saying, I believe the phrase you are looking for is, thank you. Carolyn was great. She's like, she's trying to make move- moves on your husband. Why didn't you say so? I just, <laughs> I remember my reaction to this the very first time I ever saw it. Like, I wasn't expecting it either. I was not expecting them to kill Nora off because she was doing so well as being sort of the, the antagonist to Lynette's storyline. And for... Carolyn to just go why didn't you say so bang and I remember sitting in my bed when I was younger and literally just going <gasps> yeah and just like pausing it I just I had to pause and I was like what the fuck if I just what what the hell so early in the season as well so we're early on episode seven yeah I think it was a good move though because if they keep Nora around much longer she's gonna outstay her welcome with the fans yeah fans because people find irritating. her annoying <laughs> yeah yeah I also I wrote a note that the reactions are really good the reactions which are I've really been good. saying throughout the whole episode anyway yeah but I must have specifically thought that here the reaction was really good. Julie's reaction was great. Yeah, everyone is really strong in this episode. Yeah. Obviously, the people in the store are pretty gagged. Mm. And the people outside of the store are just terrified. Like, oh my god, who got shot? Who got shot? The reactions make this episode. And they really... That's what drives the emotional intensity of mm. this. That the It's not what happens in this episode that makes me cry. It's the reactions that make me cry. Well, yeah. So... Ian comes back after seeing the news at the airport and Susan is devastated that the last words that she said to Julie were that she was really disappointed in her. And that is the very moment in the episode where I start to cry. That is a tearjerker. It's, she's so emotional about it. And she's like, the last thing I said to her was that she disappointed me. And then I start to cry because I'm, all I can think is, oh my God, like if that was the last words I'd ever said to someone... I would be really, like, that would be something that I'd probably take to my grave as guilt. Like what's also sad is that she has to say this to Ian and not Mike. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, Mike is, Ian's very nice here, but... It uh, is, Ian comes back. He yeah, comes like, back. As soon as I heard what was happening, I came back. So it was really sweet of him to return. 
but oh god it was devastating of course was Susan. absolutely devastated when i heard those words but if that doesn't get you the next bit will <laughs> yeah uh, we then cut to Breeze, and the news confirms that a female has been shot. Everyone <gasps> starts to panic and wonder who it may be. And Lynette's kids come downstairs asking where their mum is, and Bree takes them to go have some cookies. And oh my god, it's really sad. <laughs> well, I mean, in this moment, Bree and Gabby are probably just like, oh my god, a female's been shot. It could Lynette's be a, it, a female. It, it literally, it could be anybody. And they're like, damn, Lynette, Lynette's at the store. Lynette's a female. Edie's at the store. Edie's a female. And then and the kids come down and they're like, oh, when's our mummy coming back from the store? It's so perfectly timed. But also because everyone knows Lynette is the kind of character who you never know if she might try and take down the gunner. Yeah. Or talk down the gunner or something to get her shot. Yeah. So everyone's probably like, that could be Lynette. Yeah. Like, quite strongly, that could be Lynette. And Bree's going to now be saying to Lynette, I believe the phrase you're looking for is, thank you. <laughs> Bree oh. should be saying that. I mean, if that last scene wasn't sad enough of oh. Susan, then the kid's coming down. Oh, oh I know. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. Uh, so, cut back to the store again. And Lynette's there trying to save Laura's life and applying pressure to the wound. And Nora asks Lynette to take care of Kayla. She is the only good thing that she's ever done. Lynette agrees and tells Nora that she will love her like she is one of her own, just in time for Nora to pass away. And even in death, Nora <laughs> is so sassy. She's like, I need you to promise me this. And then Lynette takes him in. She's like, I don't have a die, you stupid bitch. Yeah, she's literally just like, oh no, Lynette's like, you're going to be just fine as ambulance is outside. And she's just, oh, you stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> even in death. Nora, yeah. even in death. Little fun fact, uh, a bit more trivia. Yeah. This scene where Nora gets shot is one of Mark Cho's favourite scenes from the season, according to the bonus trivia on the, the bonus discs. Mm. He said he felt really lucky to have Felicity Huffman and Kirsten Warren together in these scenes and having them working off each other. Yeah. This is, I think, possibly... It, it, it'll be certainly be in my top ten scenes of Desperate Housewives history. Well, it's nice that Nora gets a little bit more humanised in yeah. her death. Yeah. She's like, like but... Kayla is the best thing that I've ever done. She's the yeah. most important thing... And that's such an honest, motherly thing to say. And yeah. it's nice that we, we finally have that from Nora, even if it yeah. is when she's dying. And it was sweet that Lynette's like, I love her like one of my own. Yeah. Like, because Lynette probably feels so much guilt in this as well. She's like, if I hadn't have just told Carolyn that she was trying to fuck my husband, she wouldn't have been shot right in the heart. So don't... Lynette's probably feeling an awful <laughs> lot of guilt as well. Don't worry, Lynette. We don't blame you for this. No, we don't. So Carolyn watches on, telling Lynette that she obviously wanted her dead. And this proves to be too much for Lynette. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> don't look at me. You wanted me to kill her. <laughs> oh, Carolyn. Uh, this proves to be too much for Lynette, who snaps and yells at Carolyn, telling her that maybe she deserved to be cheated on. <laughs> yeah, they have a bit of a back and forth. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Realisation then washes over Lynette, who apologises for what she's just said. And While is... Art, by the way, the new neighbour, literally just backs away. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's there, like, oh. <laughs> the minute Lynette said, maybe you deserve to have been cheated on, Art was like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to... I'm not with her. <laughs> Carolyn goes to shoot Lynette. Art saves the day by throwing a can at her head. And Lynette still gets shot, but only in the arm. The hostages then fight back now with Austin grabbing Carolyn. And someone picks up the gun and shoots Carolyn in the head. Dead. So there you go. Art yeah. wasn't just backing away like, oh, I'm not with that woman. No, he was, <laughs> he was, he was helping. moving away to grab a can. Yep. He saved the day. The camera pans around to show us that it was day player number one, who is played by Anna Bellamy, who is credited as female hostage. Yeah, she's the uh, the Sunday school... Yeah. The one whose kid goes to the Sunday school. Yeah, she was the one whose kid, yeah, is in Karen's Sunday school and class. And that's all we'll see say about her, because who cares? So, yeah, she killed Karen. Again, another woman with a fantastic shot. There was a struggle going on, and she managed to shoot Karen straight in that skull. It's very worrying that all of these housewives know how to shoot a gun so it's well. It's very <laughs> concerning. And sorry, guys, like, Americans, you hear this from everyone all over the world but please sort out your gun control 
But oh my god, they could have killed off Lynette. Yeah. They really could have gone and done that. They could have killed off Julie. <gasps> Don't say that. And that would have been... De- I would have been devoured. <laughs> I would have been so devoured. That would have been awful. That would have been absolutely horrible to have killed off Julie. Think of all the storylines that we would not get in the future with Julie dead. Now, it turns out that Art is quite a shady character in the future. Mm. But he saved Lynette and he has my eternal thanks. He does, he does save Lynette. So we now get to see at the ending all the survivors leaving the store now. And it's... Do you know what it reminds me of? It's like a scene from Love Actually... You know, at the beginning, you know, but the beginning and the end where you, you get all the airport scenes and it's people like greeting and saying goodbye at the airport and getting emotional. And that's what this scene reminded me of because you had all of these characters leaving the store and being greeted by their loved ones. I mean, I didn't feel as devastated when I watched that film. <laughs> the, no, but the love actually <laughs> okay, scenes yeah. are really heartbreaking to watch because it's real life footage it's not actors it's real people at those airports at the beginning and end of life actually yeah, like, it's really embracing touching. it's touching yeah. it's emotional uh, so julie runs to give susan a hug and then she goes to hug austin lynette is brought out on a stretcher and tom runs towards her and like all the people that are watching at home like ida and stuff are at lynette's or Bree's house are like hey yeah. with their booze like, karen and Bree and gabby and Andrew and Danielle are all watching on intently on that all, TV screen, looking at the people kind of like... All with relief that, you know, Edie's fine and Julie and Lynette are fine. And... I was going to say, Danielle's probably looking out for Julie, like trying to find her, come out. Yeah. Um, Gabby and Brie are trying to find Lynette. But um, this is the last time I say it, I'll promise. The acting was superb in yeah. the scene when everyone's coming out of the store and everyone's just watching like, oh my God. Again, who's it alive? Makes, who's alive? It makes you cry. It gets you really emotional again because you start to see the relief wash over all these individual characters as you see the people leave the store. Mm. But then, whenever you see relief washing over people, but then not washing over Susan, who's looking out for Julie. Yeah. And then you don't see any relief washing off of Tom because he's like, "Where the hell's Lynette?" Yeah. And then Lynette comes out in stretch and he's like, <gasps> "Yeah." If I was Lynette, I would have played dead. <laughs> I said this earlier as well, to, just to be. But if I was Lynette, I'd play dead on that stretcher just to, like, scare Tom. He'd come she... running over and I'd be like, psych. I, I think she's just in too much pain for the gag. <laughs> probably, probably. Oh, poor Lynette. So that night, we have another throwback because Lynette's in the hospital and right next to her is one of those corded phones. Um, so tech throwback right there. <laughs> what, corded phones? The corded phones, yeah. That's Who basic. uses a landline anymore? Right? <laughs> no one uses a corded landline anymore. So um, I love a corded landline. Lynette has another dream about Mary Alice, but this time it's different. And Lynette actually tries to help Mary. Uh, Mary. Mary Alice. <laughs> Mary Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly just wrote Mary here. <laughs> Lynette tries to help good old Mary. Um, <laughs> however, even with the attempt to help, it doesn't change anything. And we get another badly acted dream sequence. At least thematically, though, even if it's just a dream, this time she tried and she gets that bit of closure. Yeah. From Ethereal Mary. Let me save you. And we get one of those um, Lynette or Felicity putting the hand to her heart. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? bad yeah, when, it's you, supposed when you rewatch to be. it it's, a, it's an awkward scene to watch it's supposed <laughs> to be like i know i know it's not supposed to be like a seriously acted scene it's a dream so it's supposed to be have that sort of weird feeling about it no, so that we realize not. it's a dream but it's just so, <laughs> so weirdly let done. me help you sweetie we can't prevent what we can't predict what can i do <laughs> enjoy this beautiful day We don't get many of them. We get so few of them. Excuse me, but literally Mary Alice said just a few episodes ago that it does not rain very often in Fairview. And now she's saying, enjoy this beautiful day because we don't get many. We've had like one rainstorm in episode one. Which is it, girl? Have uh, pick one excuse. Don't have five. She couldn't have meant thematically it's a wonderful day either because there was just a, you know, a shooting. 
Yeah. God knows what she's talking about, frankly. Yeah. But um, it's nice that Lynette does get a bit of closure here, at least. Yeah. Nice throwback to season one as well. Yeah. So um, that was that was the end of the episode. Oh, guys. my God. Amazing. So Nora's dead. Lynette's in the hospital. Oh, wow. We've got so much baggage for next episode we do there's there's going to be an awful lot we've met art and we've had great first impressions with art who saved lynette's life he's caring for his disabled sister which again shows compassion and kindness so this new neighbor seems to be very very nice he's a fan favorite Uh, (laughs) yeah come for a fan favorite work but um yeah fantastic episode it was a brilliant episode so we're now going to move on to Joel's segment of the episode where he's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moments of the episode, however appropriate or inappropriate that may be for this particular episode, frankly. I mean, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> because it's so serious. My award for gayest moment. Goes to Nora for calling Lynette a stupid bitch and being sassy, even after being shot in the heart. Even in death, she goes out like a wanker. Yeah, so, like, that's that's pure gay energy right there. <laughs> getting that one last bitchy comment to the person you hate before you die. <laughs> Just generally getting the last word. Yeah. Or at least trying to. Yeah. <laughs> so, the gayest moment goes to Nora in this. Okay. Who do you have for your straightest moment? So, my... Um, my first, I've got several. So, my award for straightest moment... Goes to Harvey for the conversation he had with Carolyn on the phone. Which one? When he can <laughs> bring himself to say who he loves. Yeah, refusing to just acknowledge the affair and go on with it. That's such straight bullshit. That's like, oh, so who do you, who would you be with? She's dead. Like, she's dead? Can we drop it? <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't what I asked, Hetro. What I asked was who would you be with? Yeah, Harvey was probably the least likable character in the episode. Which yeah. says a lot, considering that one of them has a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the Gabby and Carlos's attempt at interior design is a close second. I think that's very gay energy, in all fairness. No, that's straight energy, because that was bad interior design. Well, <laughs> if you want good interior... you good at the um, design aspect, but not good at the actual making it happen. This is why you hire a gay guy, because we love our interior design. But don't just start but taking a sledgehammer hire... to a wall, and well, don't you start... you hire the gay guy for the interior design, but then you hire the straight men for the building. Yeah, but they, even then, they did, that did bad. It was bad, it was straight, it was horrible. So um, those are my awards for this episode. So congratulations, Nora and Harvey. <laughs> well done. Actually, um, those awards actually go to characters that we will never see again in Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah. That's Except true. for Nora. We see her one more time. But Yeah, in the finale. Yeah, yeah. So those are my awards. And now we move on to the next segment, which is B's Awards for Best and Worst Parent, however appropriate or inappropriate they may be for this episode. Indeed. Uh, so B, who do you have for your Best Parent of the episode? Oh, well, my award for... Best parent of the episode. Now, I didn't have anyone written down when we started this episode, but upon talking, I give it to Julie. Yep. <laughs> you know, you balanced the checkbook, you went to buy toothpaste, you felt at that, but the intention was there to buy the toothpaste. Yeah. And uh, you told Susan to go to her room. Yes. I would, I would say that Julie deserves that best parent award for balancing checkbooks, doing the laundry, and packing for her mother. And you know what? <laughs> You are great, Julie, at yeah. that. Bravo, Julie, Good bravo. Job. So who do you have for your worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode... Goes to Susan Meyer for having absolutely no faith in Julie and not believing in her twice. Twice. Yes. Yeah. God damn. If you'd have just believed in her, Susan, Julie wouldn't have been in that store. Yeah, well, she would have had to go and get the toothpaste anyway. True. 
No, no but she wouldn't have. Yeah, but I mean, like, she wouldn't have been in the store when the gun, right, with all the the gun shenanigans, because if she'd just believed Julie, she'd have been like, no, come on, Julie, we're going. You and pretty much go. threw Julie into the line of fire. You really did, Susan. So you put her in danger. I just don't think she handled it very well. You know, no. she's given you no reason to doubt her, which she even said herself. Julie's like, have I ever given you a reason to doubt me? Yeah. And yet you still did. You still gone did that. Yeah. Susan. So, um, so there we have it. Those are our awards for this episode. And thank you for listening to Bang. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be doing season three, episode eight, children and art. Yes. But before then, if you'd like to send us any messages or look at our socials, Joel, where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and the artwork is done by Louis, who you can find on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign. You can also find a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. Yes. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye now.